Our scripture passage this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you were to research the responsibilities of a U.S. ambassador, it would not take you long to see that a an ambassador is the president's highest ranking representative to other countries. By the government's own definition, their first and primary responsibility is to speak with one voice on US policy and to ensure that the mission team with them does likewise. They are charged with protecting and promoting national interests, maintaining diplomacy, and organizing visits, and assuring that resolutions are supported. These men and women do not operate under the law in which they are residing, but rather they are still under U.S. jurisdiction and therefore are accountable to U.S. law. If one speaks forward the message of the president, they must do so precisely, and if they're not, they are removed at the very least from their responsibility. This brief description of a US ambassador is meant simply to help us frame our thoughts today as we consider Paul's ambassadorship of Christ to the Corinthians and ultimately our ambassadorship of Christ to the nations. As Daniel reminded us last week, 2 Corinthians sheds light on Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. Paul is defending his apostolic ministry that God has entrusted to him because the, the Corinthians are questioning why Paul is being afflicted, they're questioning his gifts, they're questioning his ministry all together. They are struggling to resolve in their minds how the power of God preached by Paul has any relation to Paul's weakness. They are expecting God's power to be displayed in obvious ways throughout their culture. Great oratory ability, success in ministry, um, courage uh, that is displayed in overt ways throughout the culture in their own definition. But Paul is simply meant to remind them that their ministry has been given to them by God, and it's the ministry of reconciliation, and then they have a responsibility then to, to, to be about this ministry of reconciliation. So in our text today, we wanna highlight two aspects of God's unbelievable reconciling work through Christ. First, we will consider Christ's ministry to us as we have been served by him to be reconciled to God. And secondly, we will consider Christ's ministry through us 
as we now have the responsibility to serve as ambassadors of Christ to the world. This sermon will consider the third aspect of our mission statement here at Christ's Covenant, which is to go out into the world and to love God's people. But before we go there, we must first have a hearty grip on Christ's ministry to us. If you have your Bibles, look with me in verse 18. Paul says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, meaning further explained, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul explains that we have been reconciled to God through Christ and now have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled because our sins have been forgiven and we have been given the righteousness of Christ. So what is this ministry that Christ gives to us? How does Christ minister to us? Two ways into this first point I want to highlight from the text today. First, God reconciled us, or first Christ reconciled us to God. The term reconciliation is used five times in verses 18 through 21. This idea of reconciliation is most simply understood to take place when two parties who have been estranged from one another are brought back together in fellowship, usually because of the efforts of a mediator. Now, considering this term in light of humanity's relationship with God, we must recognize that first man and God were in fellowship and then they became estranged. And this happened when man partook of the fruit that God said not to eat from. And because of this action, we must admit that this estrangement was caused by man. It was caused by us. And in no way is God responsible for this estrangement. He is not responsible for the sin that separated us. The result of this action, by God's own holy decree, is the wage of sin is death. This is what God said of our sin, our estrangement. So man has died both spiritually in that we do not desire God. In fact, we would like to be in the place of God. And then physically in that each of us will actually die. And so not only are we estranged, however, but Romans 5.10 says that we are also enemies of God and needing to be reconciled through Christ's death. Colossians 1.21 says that we were alienated and hostile in mind, meaning our attitudes and our actions, our posture towards God is one of animosity, hatred. We were estranged in one category and then we were enemies and full of animosity towards God in another. But consider this, brothers and sisters, that though enemies... God in his kindness did not abandon us. Even when we reviled his only begotten son, God did not abandon us. Please notice with me a few verses back from our passage today, beginning in verses 14 and 15, the actions that God has taken in order to reconcile us back to him through this relationship in Christ. 
Paul explains how Christ died for all, verse 14, thus all have died. And the purpose of his death was that for those that might live, would live for him, not for themselves, but for the one who for their sake died and was raised. Christ died to pay the wage of this penalty, this sin. The iniquity of us all was laid upon him, and in so doing, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, fell upon him, and he absorbed it for us. This is a term that we call propitiation. And this satisfied God. Our sin was satisfied in judgment as it was laid upon Christ. And God approved this work. So verse 16, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, Paul says. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. The death and resurrection of Christ inaugurated a new age in human history. And Paul sees this in everything. This is the way he views the world now, is through this new work that God is accomplishing. The old is gone and the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Not a refurbished creation or a built up one, but a new creation. Only our God can create out of nothing. And this is what he has done for us in Christ. Observe with me from the text all of God's work for us as he ministers to us through Christ. The son laid down his life as we see in verse 15. He gives new life and makes a new people for himself, verses 15 and 17. He does not count our trespasses against us, verse 19. And then we come to verse 18 and he says, and all of this is from God. So though estranged, though hostile enemies, he provided the way of reconciliation. Who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? Man has nothing to do with this glory. We left the fellowship. We chose other things, yet God pursued us. He provided for us in Christ, and he reconciled us back to the Father. Now, the second way that Christ ministers to us is that his love controls us. This is what motivated Paul's ministry to the Corinthians and all the churches. See with me in verse 14. For it is the love of Christ that controls us, Paul says. Do you see how the work of reconciliation precedes any ministry that comes forth from us? Christ's love is the very fuel of our obedience. Christ's love is the very source of our worship. It's the very means that informs our ministry. The love of Christ controls us in everything that we do. So if we miss God's love for us in Christ, ministry and discipleship and evangelism won't make much sense to us. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our 
iniquities. How often do you consider the sweet nectar of peace that comes from the peace by which Jesus made for us? Think with me about the actual suffering of Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We pass over so quickly his love for us but he loves us greatly and he continues to love us still as he serves as the high priest of heaven praying for us even this very hour in our faith. Even when we choose the things of this world, Christ is praying that we would choose him, that we would be satisfied in him. The mercy that has been lavished upon us through Christ should control us. This is exactly what is controlling Paul's love for the church, even when they are doubting his very ministry. So Paul cannot abandon the Corinthians because Christ has not abandoned him. So verses 18 and 19 help us to consider Christ's extraordinary ministry to us through reconciling us back to God. But examine with me from the text what we have been given in addition to reconciliation. Our hints are found at the end of both verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, God entrusts us both with the ministry and the message of reconciliation in 19. So the ministry in that we go forward to serve people and the message is the message that we proclaim to these people. So this is how we go about our responsibility in the kingdom. We are to love others by sharing with them how they too can be reconciled back to God just as we have been. So God reconciles us through Christ and then he entrusts us the ministry in which Christ is working through us, which is our second category to consider today. This is his ministry and he has allowed us to partake in it as his sons and daughters. Now look with me in verse 20, where Paul explains further his role in the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, that's a big therefore, based on all of the things we've just talked about, how we've been reconciled to God through Christ and his amazing love for us displayed in Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ, Paul says. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, verse 20. So the reconciled become the ambassadors. Well, what is an ambassador? Just to build on the first comments from the sermon. Ambassadors of Christ are his followers. We see this in the first part of verse 20. It's a representative, a designation from the king to represent king and country. An ambassador speaks the exact words of the one who sent him. No more and no less. Now remember, the Corinthians are questioning Paul because of his weakness. Paul is insinuating throughout this whole section, kind of chapters two through chapter seven of 2 Corinthians, if you're rejecting me, you are rejecting the one who has sent me. I'm attached to the message itself as one who has been sent out by 
God. The Corinthians have no authority to relieve Paul of his ambassadorship. Today, you can actually recall an ambassador from his post if you don't get along with him. But Paul, that's not the case because Paul has been commissioned by God. Paul is a citizen of another kingdom as he articulates in verse, or, uh, Philippians chapter three, verse 20. He is about the affairs of that kingdom and the message of that king. In the larger contextual argument in 2 Corinthians, Paul is displaying how his weakness proves the power of the king who sent him. This is kind of the ongoing conversation that's taking place between Paul and the Corinthians. We even see in the first letter to the Corinthians in chapter nine, Paul's like, my apostleship is proven because of you. I have come to you, I have shared the gospel with you and you have believed on this. It's impossible for a smallish, impoverished, weak Jew who is unable to speak very well to persuade and change the heart of one winsome intellectual Greek pagan, much less birth a plethora of them known as the local church in Corinth. Paul's like, you're my proof. The power, uh, my, uh, God says my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul is proving this to them. So even as they're rejecting Paul, Paul's like, I'm about the message of the king no matter what, and you're my proof of that. The second thing an ambassador does is he makes an appeal. We see this in the second part of verse 20. God is making his appeal through us, Paul says. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Look with me here. God is making the appeal through the ambassador. It's God's work. This is how the king spreads his message. He takes his ambassadors to the nations. He puts their, his word in them and he implores people. He appeals to people through these ambassadors to be reconciled to him. This gives confidence to Paul in knowing that God is working through him. Now this appeal that is being made by God through the apostle is that of reconciliation, just as a reminder. But now look with me what Paul says about his own responsibility. He implores others to be reconciled to him. To implore means to earnestly and tenderly beg, to plead for them. He longs for the Corinthians to be reconciled to God. This shows Paul's care for them. He doesn't care what they think about what it is he's saying in terms of his own personal attack. He doesn't fear them. He has long laid that aside. He's like a father who is imploring and pleading with his son to come out of a street as a car is coming. He doesn't care about what the neighbors think of him in that moment. All he's concerned about is making sure that his son is safe. This is Paul's heart for these people. So ambassadors make an appeal for the king. They implore people. This imploring displays Paul's love for the Corinthians, a love which is in tr- controlled by Paul's, uh, Christ's love for him. Now in context, Paul is pleading with the Corinthians to be reconciled to God. These are people who have at one point trusted in the grace of Christ but have drifted. They, they know the gospel. 
And it's probably a mixed bag in the local church of who is trusting in Christ through the message of Paul and who is, who is struggling. We're not really sure what the contingency is that's struggling. But he is wanting to, the church to confirm that they need their sins forgiven, that their trespasses won't be counted against them. This is verse 19. He's wanting them to, to be sure that the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to them, which is verse 21. This is a very loving thing that the church can do to one another, is to implore people to be reconciled to God. Application for us, before we continue, is this is why we walk closely together in discipleship and in small groups and in fellowship with one another. Look, the reality is each of us have fatigued minds, um, discouraged hearts, hearts that just create idols from within and we implore one another through discipleship, through fellowship, be reconciled to God. This is simply what Paul is reminding the Corinthians of. But is Paul only suggesting that this ministry of reconciliation is for the Corinthians? The answer is found in verse 19, that God reconciles the world to himself. Love for the world is in view in this context, in this passage. This divine appeal to be reconciled to God comes to all people as God does not want any to perish, but all to reach repentance. We, those of us who have been reconciled to God through Christ, are also made ambassadors of Christ. And the application is very simple for us as a church. We speak forward the same words as of that of the apostles. The message has not changed. The king has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the way that the world is reconciled is through the ones who have been reconciled back to him. Be reconciled to God is the message of every ambassador of Christ throughout all of humanity and all of human history. And this room even, full of people who have been reconciled to God, proves that. So the same message that we share with one another when we are in sin, be reconciled to God, which is our sanctification, turn to Christ, trust in him when we are weak, is really the same message that we take to the world that doesn't know who Christ is right now. Be reconciled to God, and for them, this is their justification by faith. But it's the same message. Has God's love for you in Christ stirred you yet towards this worldview? Ask yourself that. Is this the way that you see yourself in the kingdom? As one who is an ambassador, reconciled to God for the sake of not only your church, but also the world. It's his love that helps us to love well. We want to be a people to be reconciled back to God, and we want to take this message to the end of the earth, but how, how do we do this? What is, in fact, the message that we take? Well, look with me in verse 21. It's described precisely there. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here Paul fully explains what reconciliation means and the message that we are to take 
forward. This is a summary of it. This is what we cannot get wrong. This is the hope of the gospel right here in verse 21. He appointed Christ who did not know sin. Why did he do so? Because Christ is holy and righteous and without sin. He didn't even understand sin. He didn't know how to do it. He is perfect both in conscience, as 1 John 3, 5 says, and in action, as 1 Peter 2, 20, 22 says. He became the final and complete offering for our sin, Romans 8. Our sins, therefore, are fully and completely forgiven, and we have been brought near to God. And not only that, but look with me, we are given his righteousness. It is imputed to us, not a righteousness of our own, an alien righteousness that allows us to be found in him and guiltless before a holy God. This is the message for a dying world. And he has mercifully invited us to partake in it. It's a privilege, one we do, not, we do not deserve. Consider this, that those who have hated him have been reconciled to him and then sent out from him to gather those who now hate him. This is the ministry of reconciliation and this is the role of the ambassador the one who has been reconciled. So in application today, there's a few things for us to consider as ambassadors. First, consider the condition of the world. Our responsibility with the ministry of reconciliation before this lost world is to make sure that we take the message forward. We do not know whose eyes and ears God is going to open. We don't know who elect are, but we take it before them that they may hear the gospel. And we aren't to grow frustrated with a world that is lost. We can't grow frustrated with the unreconciled, unreconciled people yet. They know nothing except idolatry and their own perverse view. Do you remember when you saw the world that way? When your own conclusions with your own wisdom was found best in your sight? That's how they're sitting right now. Do you remember when somebody brought you the ministry of reconciliation, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden your mind was opened up and you could see the kingdom of God It was clear to you who Christ was and it was very clear to you who you were in contrast to him. We forget sometimes the radical world we have been called into. The older I get, the more I'm thankful for my mom and dad and just all the sacrifices and expressions of love that they've made for me. So the older I get, I want to honor them. Uh, I want to make sure that they know I'm grateful. Um, You see the effects of this in the way that I try to honor them and then even how it helps our parenting today. 
I've been with my parents longer and I'm older and I've just experienced more and so I'm thankful. Now, the more we know God and behold his glory and are transformed from one degree of glory to another, we see all that he is and all that we are and we become grateful, motivated by these things. To consider the core message. We wanna make sure that we get the message right. We get the king's words right as we go forward. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is a tendency today when we think about taking the gospel to the nations to either oversimplify the gospel or overcomplicate the gospel. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. The pollen around here is real. (laughs) We oversimplify the gospel by simply saying things that are true about the gospel, like God loves you, Um, Jesus is your friend, your right living or good decision is pleasing to God, but we fail to bring them to a place where they see that their sin has separated them from a holy God. And Christ is the propitiation of that sin who has brought us back into fellowship with him. We also can overcomplicate the gospel, especially the more mature a church is or more mature a Christian is. We who have been walking with God for a while have enjoyed the beautiful doctrines of God We have seen his glory and splendor as we have considered them. And so sometimes we can look at the lost world and go, man, how do we impart all of this to them at one time? And so it either rushes the conversation, but I would say even probably the majority of the time, it just stunts us in our evangelism. We're like, man, I don't even know where to start. But I think if we keep the main gospel, the true gospel, the simple gospel before our brothers and sisters who do not know Christ, we will be faithful. And we can practice sharing the gospel. Practice sharing it with your spouse. Make sure you have a a clear understanding what the gospel message is. Practice it in your small groups and in your discipleship groups and in your dinner meals together. This is, this is who we are, this is our identity. We've been reconciled to God and we've been made ambassadors and so we need to know the message of the king who has sent us out. Consider the challenge ahead. Look, it's hard to be an ambassador of Christ. We're not exactly the most popular people in the world. Paul is rejected by the people he's ministered to for several years. I mean, Paul preached in Corinth in the stadiums, he ministered in the synagogues, he planted churches, I mean, this is, the people Paul's been around, and they've rejected him. Yet he carries the message forward. Jesus says, if the world hates you first, remember that it's hated me before it's hated you. Paul says in chapter four, verse one of this very book, just a few verses back, he says, we do not lose heart with the ministry that we have been given. So we can expect some affliction to come for the message to be rejected. But this doesn't change the responsibility that we have, but I also want us to recognize that there are people dying to have real conversations out there today. 
The world is so broken and so confused that people are just longing to hear where truth comes from. I have had three recent conversations within our body. Three members who are uh, representing their king in their communities and their workplaces, imploring people to be reconciled to God. The first member I was talking to, that his community inside the place where he works is acutely aware of all the social issues going on in the day and they're just openly talking about it. And so they're asking what everybody thinks about it. And my, our brother in our congregation is listening to this and he is, he's telling them this is the truth. Christ is the truth. He's imploring them, be reconciled to God. Another amongst us is in a situation where the boss that he works for has sickness that has recently struck their family. And he's looking for hope. And he's asking where hope can be found. My brother is telling them, Third conversation I've had recently is another member of our church is walking with someone who grew up in the church and thinks that they're a Christian. But because our congregant is listening to what he is saying, he has learned that he doesn't actually believe in uh, the, the, the seriousness of sin and doesn't think that Christ is both fully God and fully man. He doesn't know the gospel. So our church member is imploring him, come and be reconciled to God. People want to talk about these things. We must listen and be ready to give an account in season and out. Finally, last application today, just how do we grow in our ambassadorship? First, we we want to repent. And, And here's what I mean. Look, it's good for us to confess our sin to the Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Ask yourself, have you tried to please man rather than to love him? Have you considered keeping up the relationship with that person more than you have their eternal state? Have you feared him more than you've loved God? The answer for all of us is yes. At some point, in some place. And so we want to just be acutely aware of of our fragility, our weakness, our sin. Consider the words from Paul in Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's a serious charge. But the Lord, as we confess, he is so gracious and merciful to forgive us of our sins and allows us the grace to turn back to him and walk in repentance. I would encourage you to work these things out in a community. If we're gonna be a people who are kind of like ambassadors within our culture here of our church, We're gonna be challenging one another, holding one another accountable for these things, praying for one another, encouraging one another in our weaknesses. This is how we can love one another. This is how God can be glorified more through us. Secondly, we wanna pray. We want to pray for, for God to allow us to be ministers. 
in this way. If our hearts don't break from the world, or don't break for the world, ask God to break your heart for the world that doesn't know the gospel right now. He is gracious to to hear our prayers. Lord, give us opportunities to share. Give us the courage to declare. Give opportunities for family members and friends and coworkers to hear the gospel of Christ and be reconciled to you. Lastly, recognize that we are called to make disciples of all nations. This is the very last imperative that Christ gave us while on this world before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. We are to make disciples of all nations. We do this both locally and we do this both globally. I'm grateful for the years of commitment that this church has put towards this. Some will go to the ends of the earth to those who do not know the gospel, communities that have never even heard the name Jesus and they, they implore people on behalf of God be reconciled to Christ, or on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. We have sent people out. We have brought people in. I pray that we would be a people that raise up more people and send more people out to the nations. We also have the responsibility right here in our home. By the sovereign hand of God, you have the address that God has given you with the neighbors around you, many of whom I'm sure have not yet been reconciled to God through Christ. Pray for them. Pray for yourself as you consider them. This is the responsibility of the ambassador. I lay before you these things from the text. Let's take a few moments to consider them before the Lord. And I'll dismiss this in prayer.